This is episode 26 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox. To play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Chad Taylor on the afternoon of December 8, 2017, in my now former living room in West Philadelphia. Chad is a Philadelphia-based improviser, composer, and band leader who plays percussion in many groups and ad hoc improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over Phoenix from Myths and Morals, his solo record being released this month on Ears and Eyes Records. At the end of this interview, you'll hear Yaya Cole from Locus, a 2014 album by the Chicago underground duo, his longstanding project with Rob Mazurik. A note about this episode. Roughly two-thirds of the way through the interview, just after the greatest Sonny Murray story ever told, there's a short chunk of time when Chad becomes almost unintelligible, after the clip-on mic he was wearing fell off, but before either of us noticed. What he was saying at that point was frankly too interesting to cut. If you don't catch it due to the mic gaff, I highly recommend rewinding and straining to make it out. To find out more about Chad's projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out chadtaylordrums.net. Don't let Google confuse you that he's also the guitar player in live. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can stream it at nowis.org, now-is.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Chad. Feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Chad Taylor. Yeah, this is something like that. Yeah. Um, now, it's funny, I did a, a couple years back, I did a jazz history research yeah. degree at the, at the at Rutgers. Yeah. And one project I did is I took four different versions of Sonny playing this tune. Okay. <laughs> and transcribed all the bass parts and just analyzed the bass part. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Just analyze the different lines. Uh, I mean, I'm not really an academic sort of sure. person, but I just thought that would be a cool project. Yeah, yeah. There's a, like a Sonny Rollins class or something. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, this tune is so interesting because there's always been sort of this mystery around where did it come from. Oh, really? Yeah, like the, the actual tune itself. Because Sonny's credit is writing it. but that's Yeah, but... But there's always been um, sort of like, where did it come from? Like, and and it's really uh, a melody that's heard in like different, um, what do you call it? Uh, it it's a Caribbean right. beat, obviously. But there's there's a a song I forget the name of it that's very similar. To, to St. Thomas, uh-huh. that people say he might have taken it from. I mean, it really doesn't matter. Who cares? I mean, it's a yeah. great song. Yeah. So yeah. who, you know? And so many melodies come from other places. Yeah. yeah sure. But uh, yeah, and and uh, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out who this drummer is. Okay. Uh, let me listen. To, let me listen. Check it. Oh, you can just tell me, man. It's Max Rush. Yeah, Max. Yeah. 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 
This feels to me like a really ideal balance of the role of the drummer as supporting the tune with the role of the drummer as, especially in jazz, the role of the drummer as being personally expressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that distinction makes sense to you as a drummer. No, absolutely, man. It's a fine balance to, to, yeah. to really to really have that right. I mean, this, you know, Sonny and Max always had a great connection. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting about Sonny, though, is he never, he never really had a band. I mean, he had, yeah. he played with great musicians yeah. and had great bands that he played with, but he never had his own, his own band, yeah. band that was like, like, you know, like Train had the, the quartet. Yeah, Miles. I think that, that Caribbean rhythms like this have always been part of jazz. You know, yeah. people like to think of jazz as being, you know, you got the string rhythm and, and that's like the foundation and blah, blah, blah. But really, there was never a, a specific, it was always a combination yeah. of rhythms. Totally. And, and from the very beginning, these these types of Caribbean rhythms were part of the music. And for what it's worth, I ended up going with this because just I put it on, I thought that sounds like a beat that Chateau would play. <laughs> <laughs> Driving, but very light. Yeah. Well, it also has a lot of different layers to it, you know? Like you have these different volumes happening. You have this sort of uh, soft, but then those things come out, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's um, almost like listening in 3D or something, uh -huh. you know what I mean? You're saying different values, like there's... Yeah, different levels of volume that, that uh -huh. are happening at the same time, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I love, I love that type of match with yeah. a master in doing that. <laughs> You're picking all these <laughs> songs that I've listened to like one million times. Okay, okay, yeah, good, good. good. Well, I care to identify it for the listening audience. <laughs> yeah, this is Free For All, the record, the Art Blakey record. Right. And uh, it's funny, I started listening to this record probably when I was 15. Yeah. And it was one of those records that was like, I, every day I would yeah. listen to it, you know. So I cheated um, in that regard, Madlux told me. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, there you go, I was gonna say, yeah. I think we, we discovered this record at the same time when we were going to the Bloom School together. Okay. But yeah, this had a huge influence on me, big time. What kind of, what about it? Just the raw energy of it. Um, the the, uh, the vibe, man. I mean, this is like really uh, uh, one of the reasons I, I play music is the vibe I get from songs like this. You know? Okay, it's really really uh, powerful. Well, can you and just... it, there's another on this. There's another song called the Core. Okay, that's on this record, yeah. and I think that one is probably one I listen to even more. Um. And, and Blakey's drumming, of course, is, is outrageous. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, yeah, check it down. Um, and it just never lets up. Yeah. You know, it just gets more and more intense. One thing you hear is, uh, for me anyway, is, is the independence that's happening. Uh, just meaning, 
I think this is Reggie on bass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just the way the bass and drums are playing off each other, it's, it's everyone has their own role, you know. Right. Now it's together, but they're playing. Yeah, so that's interesting. Their own this is '65, so there's already several years, and all these players are familiar. I'm sure at least from hearing, in some case, playing with in far more free settings. Yeah. So I guess yeah, I'm curious. How do you hear what they're doing here? Yeah, but there, there, yeah, I know what you're saying. But there's also there's a, I mean, this isn't. I mean, there's some freedom to it, but yeah. but but there's a way of playing independently within a framework, you know, right. that that's not easy to do. But sure. they're they're really uh, masters at it within Pete. a with, just with the rhythm section, yeah, you know, yeah. And you know what's interesting is uh, I remember talking with Reggie Workman about uh, when he was working with Train. Right. And he said that the reason why Train let him go is, uh, well, he called him, you know, after the, he thought it was a good gig and, and they were talking afterwards and Train said, you know, I, I'm paying for a uh, quartet, but I'm only getting a trio. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard. You know? Yeah. I mean, Red, you know, Reggie, he, he, he uh, he talks about it because it, it, for him it was like a wake-up call. Wow, yeah. Oh, and what year is that? That's like 63 or something? Yeah, something like that. I'm trying to think when he quit or yeah. let, was let go. Something like that. And uh, But, you know, the, the whole thing was that it's a, Train wanted independence of everybody just doing their own part. You, know, you don't have to play the same rhythms I'm playing. You can do something mm -hmm. counteractive. And, and, you know, that's when uh, Jimmy Garrison got in there. But, but you listen to this, now yeah. this is only a couple years after, and Reggie really is doing, is very independent yeah. from the drums. Yeah, I remember hearing him at the uh, Jazz Showcase and just being blown away. Yeah, when was that? Oh, this is years and years ago, I, I can't even, I don't even know, I probably was 16 or something, 15. Yeah. I mean, he's such a force of nature. I mean, he's such a small guy too. Like, yeah. How does this small guy get all this? <laughs> that's a, that's a, you know, it's funny. There are all these drummers like that, Chick Webb, yeah, small, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, just got all this. Yeah, he was saying he was a dwarf, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, funny thing about right. him is that about Chick Webb. Yeah, yeah, about Chick Webb is that you ask any drummer who's heard him live, yeah. big band drummer, and they say hands down. He was the guy. Right. Like, they wow. all do. Wow. Buddy Wick, Buddy Rich, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but you listen to the records, and they're just like, okay. Well, it's probably this is cool. A room mic or something, right? Exactly. Okay. But I mean, back then, the way you performed on a record was much different uh -huh. than how you played live. Okay. You know, okay. That's part of it too. That makes sense. Wow. Yeah, but Gene Krupa. But even all, all the, they all were like, oh yeah, Chick Webb. That was that, that was, was the guy. guy. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. But I mean, listen to this, man. I mean, the power on this stuff that Blakey's doing. This is just intense. Yeah. When you heard this, when you were, when you were listening to this when you were 15, were you? I was old, man. 
when yeah. I heard that, so I was like, <laughs> you were, you were playing a lot at the time. I was playing a lot at the time. Were you I, trying to copy some stuff? Oh, absolutely, man. Like I mean, we, the thing that really got me is to tune the chord, where Blakey's playing these half note triplets okay. throughout the whole song. I could put it on. Honestly. Yeah, put on the chord yeah. for a second, okay. man, because that what, what Blakey does on this thing, man, is this was a revelation for me of, of really what the drums could do. Yeah, when I first listened to this, I had my mind completely blown. Okay. Just by what Blakey is doing with the hi-hat. Yeah. Yeah, whoa. Did you try to learn? Do it right oh, I, I tried, yeah. I tried, definitely. But just the concept of having this polyrhythmic, you know, these, these different layers of rhythm happening. Yeah. Just really opened me up to the possibilities of the drums. Right. Were you studying percussion at the time? Or just playing? I was, I was, uh, I didn't really have a drum teacher, but I was playing a lot of, I was studying with, with Matt Lux at, <laughs> at the, at the Bloom School. Right. And uh, yeah, we were listening to records all the time and try to copy records. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty advanced stuff. I mean, to this day, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's mind blowing. But I think what it did is it just it, it it made me realize you can have these different levels of rhythms happening and they don't have to be in conflict with one another. You know, they could be in unison, but completely different, right. you know? That's to be Tony. Yep. Yeah. So this also seems relevant to thinking about the drummer doing multiple things at the same time. Yeah. Polyrhythmically, but also just creating a bass line, sort of rhythmic flow, and also doing all this stuff with bombs and whatever accents. I mean, t I mean, Tony was like, so ahead of his time. I mean, yeah. still, this this music is so modern yeah. to this day, just yeah. the way of playing like this. Yeah, what aspect do you fixate on as being modern? Just, it, there are a lot of things. The control he has of the sound of the drums is one thing that, that is really impressive. His touch, and just the way he interacts with the yeah. with the band, it's like he had just so much. Uh, yeah, you know, he had, he had so much independence too. I'm just playing within the context of the music. You know, it's funny hearing him just play the hi hats on all, all fours like that. It seems like such an easy thing. Yeah, it's so hard to pull off. Really? Oh man, Why? To, to keep it. Keep it uh, the time feel, um, but just have the hi hat going like that, is, and, and keep it keep the groove. Yeah, not easy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's great. I, love, I would never thought that. So. <laughs> I mean, it's it, what's so brilliant about it. He's one of the first drummers I think he started doing it. Is if you do that, then you have two limbs to comp. Yeah. Instead of this one, so you, it just it really frees you up. Yeah. 
I think the first time I heard anyone play Fela was uh, Johnny Johnny Herndon. Uh -huh. he, he's always been a huge fan. I think he's the first one who introduced me to it. Oh uh, yeah. I got a, I got a funny story about Fela. Is that uh, so? I was I was I was in living in in Bed Stuy. Actually, I was living, at this point, I was living in Fort Greene. I was playing in the park with my kid. Yeah. And this guy comes up to me, who I recognize. Like, who is this guy? He's like, man, Chad, uh, how would you feel about playing some Fela music? And I realized that this is someone I went to school with years ago. Okay. Who's a trombone player. And I was like, well, I love Fela, but I don't really, that's yeah. not really what I do. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh man, you'd be so good at it, man. You should, you should check it out. Well, I want you to come audition for this thing I'm doing. Okay. I was like, uh, I mean, I don't really, that's not really what I do. He's like, man, here, let me give you this tape. Yeah. Just check this stuff out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went back in my studio, put on the tape, and it was this, you know, song after song. And I transcribed all the Tony Allen parts and really started to get it under my yeah. uh, under my hands. So I was like, okay, let me just do this audition. Yeah. So I go do the audition. Turns out the audition is for the Fela musical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, and so this guy Aaron, he said, uh, he's like, yeah, man, you sound great. I felt pretty good about it. Yeah. I, I thought I got the part. I thought yeah. I got the gig. Yeah. I was like, oh man, this is exciting. So I'm like, let me know what's up with the, the yeah. schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sure. It's a yeah. rigorous schedule. And then I didn't hear anything back. Uh -huh. I would write another email. Nothing back. And finally, he writes me back. He's like, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and use... Uh, uh, for, at least for this first part, we're gonna use Jeff Mann, who was someone who was playing with Auntie Ballas uh -huh. beforehand, who was living in LA, but I guess he was coming back. So I got, I mean, I got my feelings hurt. Oh no. I, was quite, <laughs> I really it. thought I had you the thought, game, yeah, Tony Allen I thought, Yeah, I thought I had the but game. What did, what did you and, learn from... And, uh, and you know, I didn't realize it was gonna blow up yeah. the way it did. And then I remember Greg Gonzalez started doing it. Uh, uh. Tomo Fujiwara did a, a few of them. I mean, a bunch of people did it. Yeah, as a but, drummer in that. Oh, yeah, wow. but no one called. I was like, oh, well, you could at least call me the sub. So yeah, I'm yeah, jeez. It's <laughs> funny. No, it's funny, right? Man. Yeah. But oh, no, I love, I, I love this music. Yeah, what did you, what did you like, uh, learn from transcribing Tony Allen stuff? Man, the, to get this feel is, is really, uh, it, it looks easy mm -hmm. on paper or whatever you transcribe yeah. it, but to get the right feel is very hard. Well, what part of the feel? Uh, to really get to get the the you see the bass drum, you know. Also setting up the brakes, you know, it's, it's yeah. not easy. Setting up like doing the fill that leads into it or something. Yeah, yeah. and not making it too obvious. You yeah, know, yeah. that's sort of one of uh -huh. Tony Allen's um, trademarks. Not being too obvious. It's like, yeah, setting something up, but in, in, in sort of a subtle way. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've always, like I said, I was sort of late in the game of hearing uh, Fela's music. Um, but when I did start checking it out, I, I immediately was like, wow, this is, this is the business here. 
Um, and I also started listening to a lot of Tony Allen's solo projects. He, he had this one record called uh, Black Voices. Okay. That's really amazing. Cool, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's a real good one. I mean, he's still playing, he still sounds great. He's yeah. still doing a lot of stuff. Albert Island. Yep. Yeah. Is that Sunny playing with him? It is, it is. And it's, it's worth noting that uh, Chad and I both just learned that Sonny Murray passed away in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Yeah. So. That's really something. Yeah. So I, I did pick this intentionally to be kind of a hard contrast from the Fela thing to think about drumming. Um, yeah. I'm curious to hear sort of what you think is the relationship of what Sonny's doing here to, to tune to what Isla's doing, sort of how. I mean, Sonny was a force of nature, man. He, he was really revolutionary in, in how he just approaches music. You know? Yeah. And part of it so much is his intention. Um, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, which is a skill in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was brilliant at, at just being able to play in the context that made things, you, you had no idea what was happening. Next, right, you know? right. Um, and I got to, to hang out with him a little bit. You know, it's funny, I, I was playing with uh, Mark Rebo with Henry Grimes and Roy Campbell. We, we were doing all Albert Island tunes. Yeah, that's why I thought to make, pick this for you in the first place. Yeah. Uh, we had this show in Austria, okay. or maybe it was in, I don't remember, somewhere in Europe, maybe it was in, uh, I actually think it was in Switzerland. Okay. And I, I heard all these stories about Sonny, and a, a lot of the stories were like, oh man, you know, he's really tough, you don't want to mess with Sonny, and you know, watch out for this guy watch what watch out what you say in front of him you know okay okay like, okay well you know, there are a lot of stories out there right? interesting um but this is one of my heroes yeah so he was playing in a band before us and i saw him and i was like you know what i gotta say something this is you know so i, I go up to sunny i, I say mr murray it's such an honor to meet you and he was so friendly. Nice. And he broke all everything that I thought about him, all the all the, the stuff that, that people said, none of that was true when I was talking with him. He was really uh, friendly, sweet, um, brilliant. I thought I was talking with like a, a professor, like yeah. a music professor or something. Wow. And we had a really great cool. conversation. What did you talk about? We were talking a lot about uh, um, the history of African Americans and Native Americans, like you know how they a lot of times were living together and people didn't know and stuff like that. So anyway, we finished playing and I'm like, wow. I mean, we finished talking and I'm like, wow, this is this is really uh, a great conversation. So then he plays, sounds great. Then we play our show, 
So they're playing a song, probably bells or something like that, and I'm taking a drum solo. All of a sudden, I look up in the auditorium and I see Sonny Murray stand up. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's oh, man. <laughs> What's going yeah. on? <laughs> well, it depends if he's coming closer or farther. Well, well, that's the thing, you know, I keep on playing. And then I see him like pacing, walking back and forth in the back of the auditorium. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. And I'm, and I'm realizing, <laughs> okay, you know, he was playing the original. Yeah drums on this tune I must you know he must not be and it's not just like playing the drums on the tune he was like as much as anyone inventing this way of playing drums on that tune yeah and and and, and plus and he sees Henry up there yeah I'm like okay this is this this could get really out so then I see him like charging up the center of the auditorium towards me (laughs) so I'm thinking to myself okay he's gonna suddenly worry that he's gonna jump on the stage he's gonna kick my ass (laughs) But you know what? At least it's Sonny Murray. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, I mean, if you're gonna this get, will be a good story. Not, yeah, yeah. I mean, give him. You know, you're gonna get if you're gonna get your ass kicked by someone. Anybody on stage. You, you should, yeah, gonna, that's a great Sonny story. Murray, yeah. You know? So he comes up. Run, just throw the sticks at him and <laughs> take it. <laughs> you finish the solo. He, he comes up onto the onto the stage. I'm still yeah. playing. Yeah. And he starts circling, walking around the drum set. What? Yeah. I'm just scared. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Yeah. But just when I'm like ready to stop playing, he walks off the stage and then just disappears. Whoa. Yeah. So we finished the the uh, the gig, and I'm like, what in the world was that? What happened? And I talked to uh, Margaret, who's Henry's manager. And, and wife, and she says, Sonny told me he lost his keys, so he just thought he left them by the drum. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking to about? <laughs> Pacing around looking for his keys. Uh, but that's, that, that's my, my son. That's so, so crazy. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you think your solo got better or worse when you thought Sonny was coming for I you? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. And you never talked to him about it after? He would stop playing when you're supposed to start playing. And he would start playing when you're supposed to stop. Right. right. Just to create this tension. Right. Right. And for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, what is he doing? Does he even know what the music is? Does he know yeah, what's yeah. happening? Yeah. yeah. He knows what's happening. He's, yeah. an intention, he's, he's intentionally creating this friction and tension right. within right. the music. I mean, it, 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 it's a combination of listening very hard and not listening at the same time. I mean, but, but these songs are so amazing because, you know, people think, oh, it's free jazz, you know. No, there's no, there's really no such thing as free jazz. There's different systems right. in place. And this is a real specific system that Albert Island is using, yeah. um, you know, creating these melodies with these sort of march-like rhythms and these sort of launching off points to project the music into this stratosphere. But it was a system. And, uh, you know, people are still doing it today.
No, no, don't I worry about it. it. Don't worry about it. I it had it on and it just like slipped Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to, what are the what are the steps that are, they're going through here? Oh well, I'm just I just I'm talking about how he he uh, constructs these songs where it's a it does feel like it's a ceremony, like you're you're going through this process mm-hmm. of uh, you, you know there'll be a melody and then that melody will keep on repeating and then it'll be a little bit of improvisation, but that improvisation. The energy level is, is is sort of you know it's not that high, and then you go back to a different melody, mm-hmm. and you play that over and over again, and then there might be a solo over while that melody is happening, mm-hmm. and then you might go back to the first melody and play that once, and then the improvisation starts. Oh yeah, shit yeah. Oh yeah, man. There. So this sealed the deal for you? Yeah, this sealed the deal. I mean, I was having sort of a crisis. I I, I played the drums probably started when I was about 14, yeah. but I always thought of it as a hobby, like something that was sure. cool to do. But the guitar was really, that's what I practiced the most. Yeah. I wanted to be a classical guitar player. And so I went to school at uh, Millican University as a classical guitar major. After being in that program a couple months, I realized I hated it. I was like, I don't want to do this. I stopped going to classes and I would just go to the library and listen to records. I found this record, put this thing on, I was like, okay, I'm not supposed to be at this school. I got to get out of here what immediately. Was what was it about this that told you that? I mean, you know what it is? It, it, it's these musicians creating their own thing, their own music that doesn't sound like anything, yeah. but it's jazz. It's coming yeah. out of this tradition. Yeah. And thinking back on it now, I think what I realized is that, you know, jazz is not really a genre of music. It's it's really more of a process. And that process, you know, you can can, uh, go about it different ways, but the process is taking these different elements of things that you know how to do or sounds that you know and combining them in a way to create something that no one has ever heard before. And, and Air, for me, was like the, the perfect example of, of masters at doing that. So yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. this is what I want to do. Okay, you can do this. We need to do this. Yeah. How do you do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I applied to the new school in New York and got in and next year I was in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. But I mean Later. this I mean you listen to this music, it's it's uh it's just mind blowing. I mean so years later I did a I did I, I think I told you I did a jazz history degree. Yeah. And I did my thesis on Threadgill. Okay. On uh Zuid. And yeah. just how that material is, is written. 
Can you hear a lot of the same things you were writing about there as early as this? No. No? Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, of course he sounds, he's always sounded incredible. Yeah. yeah. But as far as writing, um, well, I mean, it's very original writing. He's yeah. always had an original thing, but, but the, the concepts that he uses with later with Zuid is, is complete, you know, yeah, totally different, different order of magnitude of complexity and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Steve McCall too was, I, I never heard anyone play the drums like this, you know, yeah. when, I, when I, I was like, well, this what is What aspect so, of this? Part of it is it's so raw. Um, but at the same time, it's very intellectual. Yeah. You know, it's sort of that combination that I was always... What about this do you describe as being intellectual? The way he's approaching this solo right now, the rhythm's not... There's not a specific pulse or rhythm, so he's really dealing with textures and, uh, you know, textures and sounds and different ways of breaking up the drums and different ways of, of, of phrasing and, and, and pushing the, the music. He was such a great bebop drummer too. Have you ever heard any of that stuff? I guess not, the, no. I've heard a little more more straight ahead stuff yeah, than he this. Did, he not. did a, re a record with uh, with uh, Steve McCall. I mean, I'm talking about Steve McCall did a record with Gene Ammons and uh, Dexter Gordon. Okay. That's really incredible. But it's just tunes, it's just you yeah, know, playing sure. standards sure. and stuff, yeah. I remember, uh, you know, reading some, Ethan Iverson, you know Ethan? Mm -hmm. From Bethlehem. Yeah, so he, I love his blog. Yeah, yeah, do the math. Really, really cool. But I do remember when he first started writing about Threadgill, he said something, or he was sort of suggesting that Steve McCall couldn't swing. Ooh. I remember reading that. I, I got so upset. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Letter to the editor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I got really upset. I mean, I think he's 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 definitely changed his, okay. his tune about that. But Interesting. No, man, I mean, Steve McCall, he was, he could do it all. Steve McCall, he was, he could do it all. Steve McCall, he could do it all. Steve McCall, he could do it all. Steve McCall, he was, he could do it all. Steve McCall, he was, he could do it Fred Hopkins, I mean, wow. Yeah. I got to play with him. Oh, yeah. A little bit before he died, yeah. How was that? Oh, it was incredible. So musical. He just come up with these bass lines, and you had no idea where they came from. But they were organic. It wasn't like he practiced them. You could tell he was coming up with them on the spot. Yeah. They were like masterpieces. You're like, wow, where did, how did he come up with this? I remember on one of our records, me and Rob, the whole tune is just a bass line that we heard. We remember Fred playing. Wow. We turned it into a tune because it was That's so cool. brilliant. Which one is that? Do you know the name of the track? I just, I just want to check it out and note that. Ah, I'm gonna have to, it was on one of those early records, like Synesthesia. And it's okay. just a line, I, I'm playing the line on the vibraphone. Okay. And it's, it's I remember we were, we were doing a gig where Fred just came up with this bass line. We were like, what in the world is, yeah. where did that come from? Yeah.
I've done that a couple of times. I remember another time. I went to the airport and Hermedo Pascual came over and he just started singing some stuff. I was like, what? And then he, he took out a piece of paper and wrote this thing down and gave it to me. <laughs> and I found it like months later in a pocket. And I was like, what is this? And I, I, I started playing with it. I composed a whole composition around this line. It was just brilliant. Oh yeah. Village of the Pharaohs. Yeah. So this was another Lux uh, oh, yeah. gift is... to me. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. You were listening to this a lot when you were a teenager too. I did. I, I remember uh, was John the Hubert was the first guy who uh, played this for me. He's a, he was a really good piano player. He didn't really play much anymore. He uh, is a, uh, owns a bar in uh, New York, the Parkside Lounge. But anyway, I remember when I first met this guy at school, he, he's one of these guys where he, just, he's, he really stood out because of how he dressed. Always wearing like all black, had like black cowboy boots, had like this Abraham Lincoln beard. I was like, who in the world? What, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started hanging out with him. And one day, he's like, why don't you come up to the, to the place and check out some records? I was like, cool. So we go in, the, in this apartment. He doesn't have a lot of records. He has maybe like a hundred records. Yeah. But every record he had was like a masterpiece. Yeah. There was no, yes. <laughs> there's no jump nice. in there. And one of those, you know, probably like 10 of those records were Ferrell Sanders records. Yeah. And this was one of them. He put this thing on and I was like, wow, what in the world is this? Rob got to Chicago Underground with Ferrell together. We, this is one of the songs he used to do. You did this one? Yeah, oh, cool. We, I didn't know that. we never recorded it, but we, yeah. we would play this with Ferrell. Okay, yeah, because I've heard those records from him. I've never experienced, I, I imagine like maybe if I ever got the chance to play with someone like Lester Young or Gene yeah. Hammond or someone, his sound is so incredible, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, anything you play sounds incredible because his sound is so incredible. <laughs> it's really, I've never experienced that before, you know, it, it's, nice. it's something. Yeah. Really huge sound. Did it drive you to play differently, you know, when you're playing with somebody who's, with that strong presence? Um, it did. I mean, I, I, over the years, I learned. They used to intimidate me to play with, you know, people. Uh, but I just, over the years, I've learned, you know, you just got to, you just got to do your thing and, and yeah. not be scared. Yeah. And either it'll work or it won't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, here's a, here's a funny story about Farrell. We were, we were hanging out after a show once, and we were, we were all coming back in the van, and Matt Lux... With Farrell. Yeah, with Farrell. He's, he's, he's in the van. Cool. With I don't him. know if he gets his own driver or something. Yeah, he's no, in the van. We're just hanging out. And, and Matt Lux goes, he, he says to Farrell, he's like, Hey, Farrell. Man, who, who's your favorite drummer who you, you ever played with? Yeah. You know, he fails played with everybody. Sure. You know. 
So he thought about it for about three seconds. And he was like, Farnsworth. We were like, we thought for maybe he was joking. You know, not like Farnsworth isn't a great drummer, because I mean, he's... I don't know who that is. Oh, he's a New York, a New York Farnsworth, drummer. Which is yeah. First yeah, I think, uh, I forget his first name, John Farnsworth okay. or something. I don't know that great drummer. I mean, really great drummer. Yeah, sure. But... but he's played with Elvin Jones. I mean, yeah, but I'm yeah. saying, Phil's <laughs> played with Ed Blackwell. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> Elvin yeah. Jones. Yeah, yeah. You know, so at first we thought he was joking. Yeah. So we, we were all sort of laughing. Yeah. And then Pharaoh just kept staring at it. He wasn't laughing. <laughs> so we were like, oh, okay. That's cool. You really like Farndra. That's cool. But it, it actually does make a lot of sense because, uh, you know, he, he's a he's very much a professional, shows up on time, you yeah, know, sure. uh, and does his thing. But it, we just thought that was very funny. Out of all the drummers, <laughs> he's going to pick... Uh, Joe Farnsworth. That's me. But another interesting thing about Farrell is that he. Do you know who Lynn Holiday is? Is he uh, a tenor player? He was a, a saxophone player who was also from Arkansas, who was in Chicago for years. He was one of the first people I played. I think I played probably my first or second gig with Lynn Holiday. And Farrell was a huge fan of Lynn's. And used to hear Lynn play all the time, in, yeah. like in the 50s, back in Arkansas. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was a really, uh, just make, connecting the dots was really something. Because, you know, Rob Majerit studied with Lynn and played with Lynn okay. for, for years. And he's someone who never really played much outside of Chicago. So the fact that this was one of Farrell's yeah, heroes. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. From that, something. Yeah, that's yeah. Is that how the connection ended up happening? How did you no. get hooked up? Uh, no. I forgot how Rob just uh, contacted. I don't know how he contacted. He found out his, his management number sure. or something. Got a gig. I have no idea what this is, but I like it. <laughs> what do you like about it? And I can tell you at any point if you want to. So. I, I, I like the, uh, the melody. Catch it. The rhythm's really driving. The sound, it sounds like a more modern recording. 78. Oh, 78, okay. Yeah, so the melody, I mean, is the first thing you said is, is sort of why I picked this. So um, I really love the tune of uh, Song for Diani on their Active Ingredients album, mm -hmm. which I've listened to. Like, I randomly got that in like 2003 or four or something. I feel like right after it came out. And that, it's like a long-standing favorite of mine um, and I specifically put that one tune on like mixes for people and stuff um, and it wasn't until a couple years later after that that I even found out who Johnny Gianni even was so mm -hmm. um, and so this is like a this, this is uh, is this Gianni? yeah yeah and it's his tune it's uh, and that was under his name it's called uh, Witch Doctor's Son oh okay it's uh, John Chakai and Dudu Pukwana John Chakai and Dudu Pukwana I've always had a uh, just a love of South African jazz. Yeah. I've always had a uh, just a love of South African jazz. Yeah. Just because it's, uh, you know, just the, the, it encompasses the history of South African music. In yeah. It, which has been influenced, obviously, by um, American jazz, but also has its own 
thing too, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I've always, I've always, I've always loved him. And Diani's just, I mean, he's one of these bass players who might have too many chops, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing he can't do on the bass, man. You know, sometimes it can be a little, you're like, you know, maybe you need to tone it down (laughs) (laughs) a little bit. But, oh man, it's amazing. That's interesting too because he writes, I think of him as writing just these like beautiful, perfect little tunes for his mm-hmm. music. They're just like not, they're not, they don't have a lot of excessive flourish. They're right. Just very nice melody. Hummable the, melodies yeah. that could be pop tunes. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's part of South African, I think that's something about South African music. Yeah. Really, you know. Even, I mean, just a few, when was it for this uh, jazz festival I heard? Uh, Louis Moholo for for the first time really. And just hearing that band, man, I, w- I was blown away. Yeah. Just with that vibe. Just these really um, great melodies, you know, simple. Yeah. And they're not they're not abstract, you know, yeah. they're in the key, it's like, yeah. you know. But playing off of those. Playing off of them, yeah. You can go way out and, and and, or play inside. You can do all these sorts of things, but it, it works, you know. There's a record I listen to a lot. Me and Josh Abrams really got into this record called uh, African. It's called African Bass. You know, okay. it's a duo. It's a duo with uh, Clifford Jarvis and uh, Diani. Okay. Really nice record, man. I'm gonna write that down while you say it. I want to check that out. Yeah, it sounds like seeing cake. It is, yeah. 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 So I, this is a kind of a personal indulgence. I mean, it's obviously about you, but I, um, like, I was like around around this album, late '90s was. Um, like especially beginning of college for me, I was pretty into seeing cake. And then I remember the, the first Sam Precop solo album came out. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I, was, I was like, oh wow, this is a little different. I mean, it's very similar in a lot of ways, but it had slightly different feel to it. And I very distinctly remember like flipping around the CD and being like, okay, Joshua Abrams and Chad Taylor. Mm. Remember those names. <laughs> it's like, little did I know that I'd have, in the following almost 20 years, I'd have listened to like, probably a hundred albums with the two of you guys on it. So, I'm not both at the same time all the time, but, um, so, um, picking this, even though it's a little outside of the jazz realm, reminded me of, uh, my experience of just, of that, that was probably, I'm pretty sure that was the first record I ever heard you on. You know, what's funny is, uh, when I first moved here, I played to Philly, I, I played a gig, and, uh, you know, I, w- I was trying to figure out ways how to sort of get on the scene and film, yeah, yeah. network and all that sort of stuff. And this guy who was on the gig with me, he said, oh man, check out check out this guy. You know, he runs the jazz apartment at Penn and he's here and you should, you should definitely talk to him. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. So I finished the gig and this guy comes up to me. I forget, I forget his name, he's a bass player. He's like, man, 
I just want to tell you it's such a pleasure to meet you and, and you know, honored to meet you. I was like, oh, man. Okay, that's good. I'm like, oh, man, maybe I can get a gig again. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Doing yeah. the jazz, you know, in the jazz department. Yeah, you know, like, okay, this is good. So I was like, oh, man, well, um, thanks, man, you know. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've listened to, to uh, I heard you when you, you played here in Philly. And I was like, who? When I, when I played here with Mark Rebo or... Yeah. Or with uh, Rob Majer. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. I said, well, with Ken Vandermark? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. And I heard you with, with Sam Precop. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, bro. Well, like, there goes my chances of getting in the jazz department. <laughs> because, and, uh, because he found out. That's the only music he knew. Because he that's found out that you were an indie rocker? Like, yeah, the, the yeah. only thing he really knew was the Sam Precop. Okay, that's right. Like, oh, you know, which is great. Yeah, and, and, and that's not the first time that's happened. I mean, that 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 record, both the records that that me and Josh did with Sam were, you know, great records. Yeah, I think a lot of people yeah. have checked them out. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because it's. I mean, obviously you're kind of joking, but like, it's not like, it's not like you're you're playing differently than McIntyre is here. Yeah. It's much more similar, actually, than the opening to this track, where there's a lot more like rhythmic complexity stuff going on. I, I, I would say. I mean, just going off my memory of it, I, I remember feeling like, you know, for me, Seeing Cake, which I love Seeing Cake, so this isn't a criticism of Seeing Cake at all. Yeah. But it was like, felt like interesting, sort of experimental, leading pop songs, and that's obviously true of the solo albums. But it just felt like there was like this flavor of, I mean, for lack of a better word, jazz, that had been injected, which seemed to clearly be a result of you and Josh. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I mean, I think a, a lot of it has to do with Sam. I mean, he, Sam was open to allowing us to come in and do what we yeah. do in that context. I mean, there are a lot of people, I've been in situations where people are like, yeah, we want to switch it up, we want to have a jazz sound or whatever. And then I come and play. I don't want to name any names, sure. but, and and I'm they, they don't want me to do what I do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, why did you call me to do this in the first place? Yeah. You know. But but Sam really was like, you guys, whatever you're hearing, you have any ideas or whatever, yeah. bring it to the table. Yeah. And that's what we did, and yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um. But but one thing that I remember. That still amazes me. Not the, uh, the the whole like with Sam Precop, John McIntyre, Bundy, you know all these guys, you know who were in the indie rock scene. Yeah. You go over to their house and hang out. Yeah. You look at their record collection. You know they 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 had more records, jazz records than I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they they knew the music. They listened to it, they love it, but it wasn't like they were trying to copy it or they yeah. were they weren't trying to like, oh, okay, I want to do this or whatever. They just like yeah. they like music. And it's not till I look back on it now, I'm like, well, wow, that was really something else. Like how how all these at that period anyway, all these people were had all this um, you know, were all just really authentic jazz fans. And, and knew the music and yeah. listened to it. And we're open to trying different things. Yeah. I never, you know, I never heard of Stereo Lab. I didn't, I didn't know that music at all. 
And, uh, you know, they were recording a record at McIntyre's place. And right before they came, I did something with Rob and Casey was engineering. And at the end of the session, Casey was like, Chad, I just want to record you playing some beats. So I played a few different things for him. And, you know, I didn't think much of it. He didn't tell me what he was gonna use it for or whatever, right. I was just like, okay. So then, um, months later, um, somebody told me that they heard what sounded like my drumming on the Stereo Lab record. Well, and I was like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> So I listened to it, and sure enough, it was you. It was one of these beats that I was. Oh, playing. do you know so which album? I, like, I forget, man. Huh. I forget the name. Of it. Okay, I, I got it somewhere. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, uh, this is interesting. So I went and got the record. They didn't have my name on there. Nothing. It was yeah. Like, I was like, okay, well, this is this is sort of messed up. Yeah. So I talked to Doc to uh, McIntyre about it, and then he got me in contact with Letitia, I think, and so we, we talked, and they were like, oh, we're so sorry, you know, we, we, yeah. you know how can we make this up to you, and, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Take me on tour? <laughs> and they're like, they are the ones who said this, they're like, why don't you guys come on tour with us and you can open up? Uh, and me and Rob, we were like, what? Really? Yeah. Like, yeah, come on. Why don't you I mean, because then this is in the late 90s. Yeah. So this is, I mean, they they're were probably, huge, you know, they're probably playing like 500 person rooms or yeah. something like that. that yeah, thing. yeah, and bigger. Yeah. And so we started touring with them, man. And I mean, people were receptive to yeah. it. And they started buying the records. Yeah. I mean, we were selling, yeah, we would sell like 100 records in a show. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. So that, that, that had a lot to do with how we sort of got our thing going. Oh, well, that, that worked sure. out well. <laughs> Not exactly an easily repeatable career path plan, right. but right. yeah, that works. Get yourself accidentally ripped off by stereo, by nice people. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, but you know, since now that I really know their music, I mean, I, I love what they, yeah. what they do. I mean, it's really, really great music. One, one of the things that's great about them is when they do um, odd meter songs, it sounds so natural. Like, yeah. you're never like, oh, is this in seven, is this in five? Yeah, this is in five. You know, like, you is would, this in nine? You it sounds so natural. Yeah, yeah, you don't even think about it. Yeah. And that that's really, I mean, it, that's not easy to do. Absolutely. You know? I don't know that, but yeah. I love it. So it's, uh, it's oval? I think that Marcus Pop. Yeah. It's a more recent one it's from 2010. Okay. Um, then this, that's this yeah. classic. I know, I know he's on Thrill Drive, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and I, it's a bit of a, it was a bit of an odd choice, but I was thinking about how, especially listening back to some Chicago Underground albums just in the last couple, couple weeks, thinking about this, how, like, this sort of tension between, uh, potentially productive tension between live drumming and synthesized percussive sounds and just kind mm -hmm. of like, broadly speaking, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you something about that. Do you have any of that? Yeah, man, I mean, 
for me, it, it was a real long process yeah. for me to even get to a point where I was comfortable playing with electronics. Yeah. Because Rob has always been a fan of electronic music, as long as I've known him. Really. Okay. And he's always wanted to add that element to the Chicago Underground, and I told him no. Yeah. I don't. You I'm not just because you've been it, an acoustic I'm guy. I'm not comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, I don't like it. Yeah. And so it was a long process, and, and Rob just kept at it. He's like, well, check this out. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, but I don't, I don't want to do anything yeah. like that. And I think there was a point where I had a revelation. Where we were, he had an electronic beat or, or a bass line or something that he wanted me to play with. And what I realized is that as, as long as I'm not trying to play with it, yeah. if I treat it like it's another person, yeah. then it's a lot of fun, right. you know? And, and when I realized that, then all of a sudden I was like, okay, you know what, I think I can do this. And then we started adding more electronics and more things into the, the duo. And it, yeah, I, I really, I, I enjoy it. I love playing with electronic music now because uh, that sort of tension is what I, I play off of. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because be, yeah, before I always thought you had to play like like a trick, like a, I'm sorry, a click track where you just play it right on the beat and you can't right. get off, and, right. but, and I can't do that. Some drummers can do that, yeah. I can't do that. There's a real skill of being able to do that and, and make the music sound natural. You know, there, there are drummers who can do it and and it doesn't sound good. But there are other drummers who, who can play with a click track and yet it doesn't sound forced. It sounds very natural. Mm -hmm. I, I can't do that. It's it's a it's a very recent Chicago. Very recent. Very recent, very Chicago. All these people are there. So is it Josh Abrams on the bass? Yeah. Okay. How can you tell that? Uh, despite, I mean, I played with Josh for yeah. 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, had a, I, I was thinking it was probably Josh. Um, the piano player, is it? That's not Jim Baker. It is, yeah. Okay, it's Jim Baker and piano. Okay, I, I, I don't know, you gotta tell me. Yeah, I mean, the drummer's gonna come in with a little more pizzazz soon, but um, it's uh, Dave Rampus okay. and Alvaro Rock. Oh, Alvaro wow. I would have never guessed that was Alvaro. Okay, just as we say that, he starts sounding <laughs> a little more like Alvaro, yeah. Yeah, no, that's nice. I like that. What do you like about about the about Avriel. Uh Well, I guess I meant here specifically, if uh, possible. But you could well, say that. I mean, Avriel was the first drummer who I really who, who plays in a more creative music who I checked out. Yeah. I first heard him with uh, Ernest Dawkins' New Horizons ensemble when I was you know, 14, 15. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
I love this plan. Yeah. Very, very open and creative. Oh, yeah. And I, I've never really heard a lot of birthdays, so that's that. That's what I, I'm okay. enjoying listening to them. But I'm not that familiar with this. Yeah, plan. I wasn't sure how. I mean, you haven't. Yeah. Lived sounds, in Chicago sounds, and at the same time he lived there, so I wasn't sure if uh, sounds really strong. Yeah, I just like so this is thirty minute, thirty plus minute track. You know, spontaneously composed or whatever language you want to use for it. You know, yeah. clearly not. Uh, I think pretty clearly. I, I doubt they haven't had any plan ahead of time. Oh, maybe that's some, but um, and that's not something I associate with you at all. Even as though these are players, you've played with some of these people. I associate you with this kind of world, but I, I don't think I've ever heard you do a full, you know, something like that. So I don't know if you have kind of thoughts about how these sorts of something like a half-hour freely improvised track is structured, or just how you listen to it, or. Yeah, I mean, I, I have done uh, stuff like this. I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of in what context you would know. I, I did some, I used to be in a band with uh, Tom Abbs and Cooper Moore called Triple Red. We did some longer, yeah. sort of just improv stuff. Um, but, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm not... I'm not one that really has seeked out playing long form improvs. Sure. And it's just not my really my thing. I mean, it's really hard to do. To yeah. Pull off. It's very. It's not easy at all. Yeah. And you know, and you know, and you know, and you know. part of it is just hearing. Okay, where is this going to go? You know, where is it going? What's going to happen next? But but that's with improv. You know, you have to be in all, you got to be in the past, you got to be in the present, and you got to be in the future. You got to be thinking about all. Yeah. It's really challenging. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes, you know, uh, it, it, it is what it is, I guess. You know what I mean? Some There can be a, a long improv thing, and it might not work for one person, but for somebody else, it's like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very, uh, you know, flexible that way. You know, yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. I guess it's, it's sort of about your the listeners' expectations or sort of ideas as much as it might be about like compared to like I don't know St. Thomas or something where it's yeah. like hey it's about this tune we're all gonna hum along to you know yeah yeah huh. yeah it's interesting man. I mean, I think for me, with improv music in general, it's taken me a while to get comfortable playing it and listening to it, to be honest, you know, because early on, I always thought of myself as someone who plays tunes and compositions, and that was my thing. And uh, I didn't get into improv too much later. Um, Cooper Moore, who I talked about before, I had a band with him with Tom Abs, and when we first played we just improvised yeah and I was pretty excited because I always liked Cooper Moore you know, he's sort of a legend in New York but after the session he came up to me and he said uh, yeah Chad you know uh, 
you know, one thing I can say about you is you're a really good listener. You know, and I've been asking about you to other people, and they say you're really good. You're a really good listener. And I was like, oh man, thanks, Cooper Moore. That really means a lot <laughs> coming from you. You know. Yeah. He's like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Whoa. So, Whoa. So, Meaning you weren't playing so, enough? What is it? What so was it? I was like, I was really taken back by that. I was like, Whoa. oh man, you know. What did, I, what did he mean then? Well, what he meant is that, uh, you know, when you're in an improv situation, there's a really fine balance between playing off of people, uh-huh. responding yeah. to what someone else is doing, and then giving somebody something to respond to. Right. Because if you're focused on one or the other, it's not gonna work. You have to you have to be able to do both and sometimes simultaneously. Right. Play off of somebody but also give somebody something to play off of. So that that that's that's a challenge. Yeah. And I think uh, when I first started uh doing more improv stuff I was so focused on listening and responding that I wasn't giving people anything to hear yeah you know what I mean you have so much power over the whole ensemble because you're the loudest instrument yeah. you know in a lot of cases you it's very easy to to uh, um, it's like I've heard us saying that he's coming up he's <laughs> yeah. coming up yeah. right but you can at any point you can be the loudest yeah or the quietness. I mean, you really, in a lot of ways, the drummer is the most, has the most control of the ensemble. So that, that with that, with that uh, power comes a lot of responsibility, you know? And like, how, how are you going to shape the music? You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's challenging. It sounds like that scene to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I'm sure it was different 20 years ago. I don't know if this sounds Particularly maybe, Chicago-ish maybe to me. It does, it does to sound Chicago-ish to me. I mean, when, it, when you first put it on, I was like, oh, this is a Chicago okay. thing I, I thought of. You know. But I was actually thinking it was like a Vandermark. That was my first impression. Right. It might be one of the Vandermarks. Well, but, you know, Dave yeah. spent a bunch of years in Vandermark's group. It's, exactly. Do you have any other thoughts about, like, when you go back to Chicago? I mean, I imagine you're often, like, on the gig, but I don't know if you go back and kind of get a sense of, like, how people are playing in the jazz world now, especially that kind of... Elastic Constellation, Hungry Brain kind of world? Uh, I mean, I do and don't. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really, I know there's all sorts of new players in Chicago. I don't know who they are, but I know they sound great. I mean, I, I know, I'm always hearing about some guy or, or woman who, you know, is uh, new on the scene. Yeah. And they sound, sounds incredible. Yeah. But as far as like, what is that? What is that Chicago sound? Um, it's it's sort of hard to articulate, you know. Yeah. I mean, I get I get asked sometimes like, what's the difference between the New York, yeah, you know, improv scene? I may know. kind of be asking you that right now, yeah, <laughs> depending. I mean, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. And and it's hard. I mean, it, there definitely is a huge difference, but it really is sort of hard to articulate. I think a lot of it just has to do with the intention of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and then you can, that really can be heard in the music. And one of the big problems with New York is that because it's so competitive and, and just a hard city to live in, 
you know, so much of what people are doing is you're focused on well, how successful is this going to be? You know, am I going to be able to record this? Am I going to, uh, you know, are critics going to like this? Um, you know, am I going to be able to do a tour? Am I going to be able to present this to festivals? And you have to think that way because if you don't, it's likely that not much is going to come of the music. Right. Uh, and because you're thinking that way, you're also being very specific about what you're doing. You're not, do, you're really trying to be as focused as you can as to, okay, I'm going to do this one thing, and that's what I do, and I'm going to do that really well, and that's it. And through that path, you can become very successful. Chicago works a lot differently. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you have an improv group, and uh, it doesn't matter what sort of thing that you do, you know, and you keep at it, eventually someone's going to come and write about it. Yeah. You know, good yeah. or bad, someone's going to write about it. Yeah. In in New York, you could be doing that for like ten years, and no one would write anything. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's a, it's such a, a a bigger scene in New York. You know. Sure. Um. And so, I feel like with Chicago, it gives you a more of a sense of uh, creativity because you're not so much focused on um, the outcome of the music. You know, you're just like, okay, I'm just gonna do this thing and we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what this kind of sounds like to me to some extent. Yeah. In this and, way and, that, yeah, and, this and, is... Go ahead. No, just people who, you know, Dave and Josh and Avril probably, plus Jim in this case, but the three of them had played together a ton of times, played a lot of shows. They can play, you know, I mean, I'm sure because because Dave helps run Elastic and book stuff at Elastic, he can probably rehearse there and just to kind of have a sense like, this is our thing, we're evolving something together. Not like, all right, when is the gig and how hard are we gonna hit the gig? You know? Exactly, exactly. Um, now the counter, argument or whatever is that because the scene in New York is so difficult it really like it kicks your ass and yeah. so people are like you know practicing constantly that, that doesn't mean that people are like getting lazy I mean they're practicing all the time and, it, and they create a very high standard of yeah. playing yeah and, and I do find that sometimes, at least when I was in Chicago, it was really easy to get complacent, yeah. get comfortable just doing one thing. It's like, okay, this yeah. is cool, and I like it. I'm, I'm in my comfort zone, so I'm yeah. just gonna keep on doing this. Right. You know, where it's you know, it's really hard to have a comfort zone in New York. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like both scenes. Both scenes are good. You know, yeah. but they're just very different from one another. Is this is this table? Nope. <laughs> okay, give me I have Well I'll give you let me give you a hint. It's uh um, two of the two of the three people you definitely played with. The piano player it is the piano player and 
I mean, I'm just getting telling you, it's Angelica Sanchez. Oh, it's Angie, okay. Yeah. And it's her album. And who, who, who are the other musicians? Uh, Formanek and uh, Tashan Surrey. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. No, I mean, Angie is, 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 uh, really incredible. I mean, I think she, you know, we're talking about New York, Chicago. I think Angie has her, it's Angie. Like, she doesn't fit in any sort of box okay. at, at all. I mean, I've always... Because of what that she uh, She's just a very focused, um, I get special, creative musician, you know. Um, I mean, all, I mean, Tyshawn is incredible, and so yeah. is... Uh, Um, yeah, I remember the first time I played with Angie. Uh, I was playing at Cordelia Street with Tony Malaby. And I got freaked out after that. And we were just playing improv, but I, I was really like freaked out. I was like... Well, in what way? At what Angie was playing. I was like so into... <laughs> what, she was, what she was doing. Yeah. And I mean, we sort of had a connection, you know, playing off each other, but it really it freaked me out. I was like, I well, don't understand what, what, is, what is happening. Well, did you, you talk know? to her about it? Yeah, did yeah. you figure well, out what it was that freaked you out? <laughs> I mean, she's just an incredible musician, you know, and, and very organic. I mean, we, we've played a lot um, since then, and I, I, well, I did a record with her and Chris Lightcap. Yeah. And it was really, you know, it wasn't, at the beginning it was a collective that we just all got together and started playing. And somebody needed to take over just so that yeah. it would Exist become a, a record. Yeah, and I tried to do it and, you know, sort of failed. But, you know, we did, we did one record. Yeah, that record's great. And it was fun.
time, time. My time. What is going on? I gotta okay. get a new shirt. Yeah, sorry. I think it's my shirt. Okay. Yeah, it's just a, okay. I just I mean I didn't need to stop it. I don't know. I'm just like, no, yeah. no, don't say something smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean 